Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at the district. Amen. You guys can go ahead and be seated. We're taking the month of January to go through a series that I said called the Imago Day, which is just a fancy way of saying the image of God. Um, and what we wanted to do with that was look at some of the major cultural um, topics that, that are going on, whether it's socially, uh, politically, uh, or just even in your spheres of influence or in your workplaces. Um, and so we started out with kind of the, the first topic being who is God? Because if you're going to start with the image of God, then you've got to start with who is God then. And so we talked about that the first week, and then we went into uh, the second week being gender and specifically dealing with the idea of gender reassignments or gender dysphoria as well as sexual orientation. And so we, we tackled that topic last week. Um, and then this week is moving into uh, racial reconciliation. And so what does it mean that God is redeeming a people from all peoples? What, what does the gospel, what is it supposed to look like? And how are we as a church supposed to engage in the, the ministry of racial reconciliation within the church? And so um, instead of you hearing it from me, I wanted to bring in a dear friend of mine uh, who is one of the pastors at Soma Church. Phil, you can go ahead and come on down. Um, but Brother Phil Edwards is the pastor of uh, community development at Soma. Uh, Soma is where I did my residency as a church, um, church planting resident. Um, and was there for a year and just got to know Phil while I was there um, and have just had great conversations with him and uh, specifically around just this this idea of racial reconciliation and what does it look like for the church to engage that um, within the city around them. And so uh, I'm excited to have you here, brother, coming and sharing with us. And don't worry about that. That happens often. And wow, it's all good. So guys, give it up for Phil, right? Bless you. Thank you, Pastor Duane. I really appreciate uh, the introduction, that heartfelt introduction. And boy, that was really hard on my ear. Whew, and it happens often. Are you kidding me? You know, I, I must say, it, it is a, it's a pleasure to be here at the District Church. And, and for more reasons than one. One, because uh, Duane and some other folk like uh, Andrew uh, Morrison and all this, you mess up when you start calling names, you got to call everyone's name, but just so many, and Josh, and, <laughs> and there's Johnny. No, I'm kidding. And, you know, just to be able to come back into fellowship uh, with friends, with the brethren. And another reason why I'm excited is because of this church, a new beginning for this body. And I must say that there's such a, there's a spirit, and I'm not one to get caught up in the feelings. I am, I am an emotional guy, but there's, I sense just a, a spirit of peace and harmony in this place. And I don't know many of you, but I just sense that. It feels really warm. And I pray that as people come and visit the community and, and become a part of this body, they would feel the same way that I feel. Feel very welcoming. Feel very warm. And I believe that has a lot to do with the Spirit of God, but also with you. With you. Look at you. Look at who you are and where God has brought you to this place, and this space, and this time of your life. There's a reason for this for you. Whatever it is that you've gone through, whatever it is that you are going through, that God has you right here, right now, to reflect his glory in this space, in this community. And I pray that you would anticipate great things 
great things that he has for you. Amen? I don't mind if you guys respond, and I like it. You just did it. But I always say this when I'm sharing in a different place. I don't mind if you respond as I preach, especially if I preach the truth. And if I say anything that is good from the word and everything is good from the word, even when it's hard to receive, you could say amen. You could testify. You know, and if I, if I get a little lonely up here, I got the Holy Spirit with me, but I might ask you, can I get a witness? <laughs> that's just, and that's just something that is so important, I think, to all of us to experience the freedom of God, freedom of the Spirit. So I, I'm doing a lot of talking. It's just I feel at home. You know how it is when you come to uh, the dinner table and you are entertaining friends and family members. You just feel at home, and I feel at home as we talk about what does it mean for us to come together from various ethnic and racial backgrounds around the dinner table. That's what Dwayne asked me to share on. It's like, are you kidding me? What the world? Now, you have to know um, that this is, we're coming upon Black History Month, and that's not why I am here, why Dwayne's asked me to share uh, but it is a reality, and especially across the nation. And so I get an opportunity to talk about, hey, it's great to be black. <laughs> but I laugh at that because um, that is true. But honestly, in where I am at SOMA and my relationship with Dwayne and Kelsey, because I know I don't know you that well, girl. I'm not just throwing your name out there. But, but with Dwayne, it's just a, a realness in relationship, and we're getting to know each other. It's becoming more and more authentic. And we're not doing it just for the sake of being together. We do share a common value of coming from the South. Uh, we are Southerners, amen? Uh, but at any rate, it, it is just so great to be here and to talk about what does it mean for us to interface around the dinner table from a racial standpoint. I have a lot to share. But I won't take all of the time that, that's been given me. Dwayne said I had an hour and a half. And, um, but I promise you I won't take more than an hour and 15 minutes. Um, but I have a lot to share because this is a very sensitive topic for me, and I'll just share a little bit. We're going to pray, and then I'll share a little bit about my personal experience, and we're going to get in the Word, and this is going to be more of an applicational-type sermon. It would be a practical sermon that would give application to what it means for us to come together from various ethnic backgrounds, ethnic, racial, cultural backgrounds um, around the dinner table. So it's going to be very practical it may be a little bit uncomfortable, and I hope you're all right with that. Amen? It may be a little bit for me. I'm the minority in the house. Are you kidding me? I thought that was funny. Let's pray. <laughs> Father God, I ask that you would thank you that you are here. And we pray for the power of the Holy Ghost. We pray that your spirit would just meet us where we are, that, Lord, you would uh, encourage us. Lord, that you would challenge us in your word. May we receive from you. May we get a glimpse of, of your glory. Lord, may we get a glimpse of future story that has been laid out for us. May we get a glimpse of what it will look like for us, for people from various tribes, nations, and tongues coming together under one rule, the ruleship of Christ, seated below the throne where you have called us all to honor and to glorify your name because you're worthy. We come as your creation, a mosaic, people from various humes and various experiences. Lord, we 
come to glorify your name. And we want to do that more and more each day as we approach that day of glory with our Heavenly Father for an eternity. Bless me, Lord. Help me as I share your word. Help us as we receive from you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, this morning, a lot of people are, have gotten up and are getting up, and, and they are traveling, have made it to their destination of their church home. And, and a number of them uh, do this on a weekly basis, and they come and they get dressed up, and they become a part of, they come to their body, to that local congregation, and they worship God, and, and they hear the word, and they connect with friends, experience fellowship, and they leave and go and have lunch or dinner, depending on the region you're from, and, and then they uh, go home, and then they do life again. In many regards, they never cross paths with people that are not like them. They never interface with people that don't look like them. That is a reality. In this day and time, even in the church, and you've heard this, that 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock is the most segregated hour uh, in our community, in the church. And that is a reality because some would say, oh, it's, it's our preference. It's been my experience. It's the type of church that I want to go to, and it doesn't necessarily have to include various races or cultures of people. Um, but at any rate, I just want to make sure we point out this reality. The reality that we are a divided people, and sin divides us. And also the reality that God has given us the gospel, and the gospel pervades or transcends all races, cultures, and, 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 and all ethnic, ethnic backgrounds. The gospel brings all together. Can I get a witness? Yeah. So, I kind of lost my, my text here. Here we go. Yeah. The gospel pervades race and culture and fellowship around the dinner table. And, and it, could, it could really provide opportunities for sharing life experiences, sharing stories and vulnerability within an ethnic or a cross-cultural context. Race relationships in the United States have been uh, tenser than they have been since more, they've been tense, more tense rather, since 1960s. Of course, tension uh, between races is nothing new. Uh, 2,000 years ago, Jews and Gentiles didn't associate with each other. Here's a quote from a U.S. senator. And so we, we want to talk about a perspective of the church, but let's look at what the world thinks, or what culture thinks about race. There's a problem, people. And here's what Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma City said. He said this about race and, and, and about race at the dinner table, or rather about the dinner table and race relationships. Race relationships are like all other relationships. They are built over time, trust and meals together, he said. I believe that we will never get all of the issues on the table until we put our feet under the same dinner table. He said, although the first thought is often to look to government to solve race relationships, we know the federal government cannot solve this problem. We suggest the first step could be something we call Solution Sundays. Can I say that again? Solution Sundays. I like that. Let me finish this quote. He said, 
Many families already intentionally reach out, but some families have yet to take the obvious first steps of connecting your family with another family from a different race. We should move from I know someone from another race or I work with someone from another race to we have spent time together developing friendships and understanding. During a time of great racial tension in our nation, we need more intentional relationships. We want unity, but are we willing to work for it with our own family? How does that grab you? Here's what Billy Graham says. Billy Graham, a renowned evangelist, said this in the Christian Today article. Racial and ethnic hostility is the foremost of four more societal problems facing our world today. And he said, racism in the world and in the church is one of the greatest barriers to the world evangelization. He said, the issue within society may be complex, but God despises all forms of racism and ethnocentrism because they incite discrimination, promote selfishness, and belittle the reality and beauty of his creation. God seeks unity, humility, and love from his creation, but racial discord simply promotes anger, arrogance, and bitterness. The sins of racial and ethnic prejudice have deep, have deep, have a deep, I'm sorry, the sins of racial and ethnic prejudice have deep history both in America and across the globe. How does that make you feel? It's not a, a topic we embrace that we really readily embrace, it really isn't, because it makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable, perhaps, and it, it does for me sometimes. And I'll just share this with you. Growing up in the South, 50 years old in the South, uh, poor family in the South, very challenging. A lot of things have, that I've seen, have heard, and a lot of struggles that I wrestle with even to this day. But yet God has done something really special in my heart. He allowed me to have a foretaste just to experience his glory through the gospel. So I've given my life to Jesus, obviously, and, and he has done something really great in me, and it's really just racked me, broken me up, and just given me a, a pursuit for his holiness and righteousness, giving me a pursuit for unity, for being in fellowship with him and appreciating his creation. Now, I said a lot. I've experienced the power of God in my life, and it's changed my mind, and it's changing my heart. I've heard things about white people. I've heard some bad things about white people. Growing up, it's, it's a part of my culture. And you know what? You probably heard some bad things about black folk or other folk, okay? I, I don't, I'm not politically correct. I don't say African-American all the time or Caucasian. I'm sorry. I don't. It's just black and white. It's, I'm 50 years old from the South, okay? But the point here, I want to put you at ease a little bit to let you know and to, to acknowledge and to even uh, confirm what you are feeling right now. This is not an easy conversation to have. And I have a lot of white friends. I really do have a lot of white friends, not just people that I work with, people that I really know and spend time with, have been with them for years. And I've slept at their home, and they slept at my home, and we've, we shared meals. 
But I have white friends and we have candid conversations. And so I in there from various generations too. I mean, Gen Xers, millennials, okay, and boomers. And so I have some perspective and I have a lot of conversation and I can just about tell you what you're probably thinking right now. Probably give you an idea. Can I go there just for a minute so you can be on ease, so you can be at ease rather? Okay. So some of us may be feeling, and not just the other African Americans in the room, some of us may be feeling like, are we really talking about this again? Are you kidding me? You know, are we there yet? And then others are saying, oh boy, I'm feeling something. I don't know how to deal with this, and here we go again, and I thought we were done with this, and I just don't know how I feel. I know we need to talk about it. I know it's biblical, and we're going to go there in a minute. Hold on now. And, and, but I just, and then there are others just saying, yeah, I hear you. I want to know more, but honestly, what are we doing with this? To what end do we come together and we name the name of Jesus and we worship him in spirit and in truth and we even worship together and we leave and, and we maybe sometimes have interactions with people that are not like us, not our, don't, don't share our race or what have you. But to what end? Can we just wait till we get to heaven to experience all that God has for us? And I'm one of those types who's just really have just been perplexed. I'm a perplexed individual. Because I'm thinking, if, if I have this understanding when I read scripture, that we're to be one in Christ, that he is the father of all his creation, all of his children, red and yellow, black and white, and we are precious in his sight. And old brown people too. And so if that is a reality for us, then why am I wrestling with us coming together? Because it hasn't been a part of my experience. It's because of my presuppositions. It's because of my experiences that I don't necessarily feel comfortable with white folk or other people. But God is doing something in me, and I have to do something with that. I have to do something with that. Listen, here's why I'm so perplexed. I don't want to wait until I get to glory to figure out why God made us so different on the outside, to figure out why he brought us up in different cultural contexts, Texas, why he allowed us to have certain experiences. I want to know right now. I want a taste of that on this side. I'm greedy. I don't, I don't, in this regard, I don't like this delayed gratification. I want to understand it now. Why are we so different, Lord? So I'm asking those questions all the time. And so I think it's good for us to get into the scripture now. Because that's where we go and that's where we get our foundation. That's where we get the answers from. And then we'll wrestle with the application. What does that mean? Right? So Cornelius in Acts 10, I want to really focus on verses 31 um, through 34, I think. Um, and actually 34 through 43. But before we get to that part of the text, I want to bring you up the speed as to what took place before this awesome uh, experience within a, within a cross-cultural setting. So it starts here in, in, in Acts 10, and an overview of the first eight verses is this. Cornelius was a centurion. He was non-Jew. He was a Roman commander. 
Uh, he, was, he was a part, he was in charge of an Italian cohort. He had men, over 100 plus men under his leadership. He was a devout man. He was one that feared, who feared God in all of his house. So he had, and I'll just get right to it. You know, when you tell a story, you want to just kind of go there. And if you're African-American, let me just share this. With, since we're talking about race, I can share this with you. See, when, 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 when African, generally, when a brother, a black person tells a story, it may not necessarily come out in a lineage form where we go from A, B, C, D. It may start with A and go to J and come back to B, then back to Q, and then back to C. You feel me? And, and, and so, just, so that's a part of our culture, right? You've just had a cross-cultural experience. <laughs> and so if you find it hard to understand me, I'll try to bring you in. And I may say, let me get back to my point. And you may say, where was he going with that? And eventually, I'll get there, I hope. So the story here, if I can give you this overview, tell this narrative. So Cornelius Centurion, he's a, a man with authority. He's a command, a Roman commander. He's a devout man, one that feared God in all of his house. And so, and so what, what happened was, what, what, what the other thing Cornelius did was this. He was a man who prayed. He continued to pray in pursuing God, and he gave alms. He was generous, right? And so he's praying every day, and he wasn't a believer. But he was, you know how you have some people that may be moral people, right? That say praying is a good thing, maybe going to church. Some of you may be in the house today and saying, I'm not really a Christian, but I think church is important in someone's life. Well, Cornelius pretty much had that same perspective at this time, right? And so, so he was committed to praying and he was doing really good in the community, giving to the needy, not just to uh, the Romans, but not just to the Gentiles, but also to the Jews. He was very generous to people in general. He didn't discriminate. And, and he prayed to Jehovah God. He didn't just pray to idol God. He prayed to God Jehovah. He saw that within the Jewish community. They're praying to this God that I really want to experience. I want to have a relationship with him. So he's the one that I am praying to. Praise God for the witness of the Jews. And see, what happened then was that God used Cornelius because Gentiles were not included in the church at that time. So he uses Cornelius as one who would be the, uh, uh, let's put it this way, would be the, the door of faith that he offered to the Gentiles. So Cornelius' faith would be the one that God would use, his faith in God, not that he was a believer at the time, but his desire and pursuit of God was what God used to bring the Gentiles into the church. That's what's happening here. That's the big picture. That's the big thing that's going on here, right? That this is the first time in history that God brings the Jews and the Gentiles together. Because they were separate at the time. And we'll talk more about their separation. Yes. So Cornelius received a vision from God. An angel uh, appealed, appeared to him. And, and, and he, he, the angel, instructed Cornelius to send for Peter in Joppa, okay? And so, listen, Cornelius was a man who was like, I want to do what God wants me to do. I fear God. I reverence him. So he did just that. So he sent two of his family members and one of his soldiers to go for Peter uh, in uh, Joppa. So then we find in Acts 10, verses 9 through 25, we have what's going on with Peter while these men are traveling to traveling from Caesarea, Caesarea to, Jop, to Joppa. So right here in verse 9 here, Peter went to the rooftop and prayed around the sixth hour. That was at sunrise. 
And, and while praying, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while he was praying and while they were preparing the food, all right, six o'clock in the first hour there, uh, while he was uh, in the sixth hour there, and while he was praying, he became hungry, and then there's something happened. He had a vision, right? And so what happened in verse 11 says, he saw heaven open like a great sheep descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. It, is, and it was filled with all kinds of animals and reptiles, slimy and satisfying, and birds of the air. And, and, and then he heard a voice. So he's seeing this, he's just in this vision, in this trance, and he sees this sheep coming down from heaven with these animals, these creepy little things on this sheep. And, and, and then what, what happens then is this. He heard a voice, and the voice said to Peter, the voice of the Lord said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. In verse 14, but Peter said, By no means, Lord. I have never eaten anything that is common, anything that is indulged by pagans. <laughs> we Jews haven't, we just haven't touched that kind of food, not the common food. And he also said, but I have not even touched, not even the unclean food. We get that because it was a ceremonial, the law of Moses, where Jews could not take of the unclean meat or unclean food. So you'll find that in Leviticus 11 and also Deuteronomy 14. And then in verse 15, it says this, and the voice came to him again, the second time. And what God, this is what the voice said to him. So Peter said, I don't eat anything common or unclean. I, you know, I, I don't do that kind of stuff. Is that like us sometimes? So those are some things I just don't do. You know what I mean? We get kind of dignified here. Uh, maybe not. Okay. And so, but the second time he heard the voice and it said this to him, what God has made clean, do not call common. Catch that. Hold on to that. Hold on to that. We're going back there, okay? At some point, we're going. You guys are doing well following me, I think. And then, and then this happened three times. Repetition is so important. Did I hear you say that? You, yeah, you did say that. You said it again. I think I got it. Sometimes we're kind of stubborn and hard-headed that we don't really get things the first time. We're a little slow. Well, Peter got it three times, and so will you. I'll say it over and over and over again so you don't forget that. Okay, okay. So then what happens? Happened three times. And then verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, I, I'm, I, I resonate with Peter. What does this mean? What, what's up with this? I don't get this. While he was perplexed, inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he heard he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent from Canilius' home had arrived to Joppa, and they were standing at Peter's gate, verse 19. While Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter invited them, and they stayed overnight, and the next day they journeyed to Caesarea. You know, it's interesting. Peter was a hospitable man, right? We're talking about eventually we're going to get there, y'all. What does it look like for us to be at the dinner table from various ethnic groups, Right? Peter didn't have a problem inviting the Gentiles into his home. But we're going to see when we get down the road here that when the table is turned, it's going to be an issue. You following me? All right, good. So then what we have is this. When they arrived, so when they went back to Joppa or, 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 or Caesarea, 
Um, Peter asked some of his people to go with him. There were other Jews that accompanied him as he and the three that came from Caesarea, uh, sounds like a dish or something, that came from Caesarea, they actually, uh, he had some witnesses with him. He had some of his homies with him. I ain't going up in there by myself, you feel me? I need some people that make me feel a little more comfortable here. And we, we feel that way too. If I have to go into a different context by myself, I'm going to be less likely to go. But if I got some people that I know, people that know they're going to have my back, it's all good. You're right, you feel me? That means that you understand what I'm saying? Okay. I'm just making sure. I'm, you know, I don't want to make any assumptions. That's a problem. <laughs> Wait, way too many assumptions. So then we find here, yeah. So Peter and his posse and the three that came for him, they arrived to Cornelius' home. But I'm going to step away and we're going to talk about this a little bit. So they arrived to Cornelius' home, and, and then uh, the first thing that happens, Peter comes in, he says what? You know, it is uncustomary for a Jew to be associated or in the home of a Gentile. Hmm. What do you think about that? Customs, traditions, experiences. Where, I'm going, where am I going with that? See, if, if we want to invite people to the dinner table that are not like us, there are some presuppositions that we have. There are some things that we may say, I've never done this before. And for Peter, he said, it is uncustomary. It is against the law. It is against society for me to be associated with you and under your roof. You know that now. Straight up. You know what is true? Let me just pause for a moment. <laughs> Do you know that there are some uh, white people and some black people. Can I just talk about black and white people? That's kind of what I see in the room, right? And do you know that there are some black people and then there are some white people who've never had dinner uh, with someone from a different ethnic background? Let's go a little deeper. Do you know that there are some white people who've never hosted black people in their home? Do you know that there are some black people who've never hosted white people in their home? Now, I'm going to tell you the truth. Last week, one of our members at SOMA, he approached me and he said, Phil, he's white, right? He said, Phil, he said, Pastor Phil, you know, I've been talking to one of the guys in my MC and, and we, you know, have this relationship now. And it just dawned on me that when I had dinner with this family at this family's home, that was the first time I've ever had dinner in a black person's home. I said, what? I did. Why did I say that? Now, some of you are like, what? What do you mean, what? There's too much what going on. What isn't going on in here? And so I was surprised. I said, wait a minute. I have eaten at a lot of people's homes. I mean, maybe because I'm a black man. People want to meet a black man and not enough of us go around. But here, here's the point. Here's the point of the matter is, especially in Indianapolis, I'm just saying. We're going to get there in a minute. We're going to get there. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Look at the representation in this room. Come on, man. I can get fat fellowship with my white brothers and sisters. Woo. Woo. Okay. So then I shared this with our leadership because I was kind of shocked because I've had, again, I've had dinners with all kinds of people, right? And been in my home, I've been in their homes. And when I shared with our leadership team and one of the pastors said, that's probably three quarters of our people, of our white folks. Some is a predominantly white church. 
they've never entertained or hosted a black family in their home. Wow. Do you resonate with that? Come on. It's all right. You can kind of nod your head then if you don't want to say me. Okay. Some said, no, I have done that. That's cool. That's cool. I'm not trying to shame anyone. But that is the reality. And why is that the case? Well, because it's pretty conceivable that we could live, and this brother who said that is 38 years old, grew up uh, in southern Indiana, on the south side of town. Greenwood, Plainsville, Mooresville, that kind of area down there, right? And he said, so I went to high, didn't have black folk in his high school. Didn't have that really in his college, a couple in his college, but just didn't have the interaction. So it's, it's conceivable that we go through this life, that we could go through this life living on earth, naming the name of Jesus, and never really going close with someone who's not like us. That's conceivable. Do you think God intended that to be the case, though? So what's wrong with that? We're going to get there. We're going to have some solutions, y'all. Let's get back to the text, right? It's not about Phil. I got a lot of stories to tell, but let's tell Cornelius' story and Peter's story. Where was, where were we? So Cornelius invites Peter, and Peter and his posse, they arrive to his home. And the first thing, really, that I missed that you will see in the text here, if you're following it, I told you going from here back and back to the other, right, was that Peter, or rather Cornelius, bows down to Peter when, he, when Peter entered his home. He kneeled down, bowed down, and he worshiped him. And Peter immediately said, whoa, rise up, pick, pull them up, rise up. I'm a man just like you are. That's something special right there. I want to I go there. You know, those small things that we can't miss. So why did Cornelius feel like he had to worship, worship Peter? It's not because he felt like Peter was superior. No, he, he did it because of his reverence for God. This is God's man. This is the man that God asked me to send for. And so because I love God Almighty, because I love Jehovah God, because I want to be closer to him, I want to know him for myself in a personal way, then I will honor the man that he sends to me. And you know, truthfully, that should be any different from us. If God sends people to us, people that he loves, people that he wants us to experience life with, then we should really honor him or really honor and respect them because they are coming in his name. That's good. So think about that. So then Peter goes deeper into the home and he sees that Cornelius has his family there. And he has close friends. <laughs> and then Peter says immediately, <laughs> I now get it. I had this vision, you know, the, the, the unclean animals from the sheep that came down, the common and the unclean, right? What he realized then, the Lord just said, I gave him an aha moment. I pray you get an aha moment this morning. But what he said was this, I now know that what God has made cannot be called common or unclean. What God has made is good. God doesn't show favoritism. That's a realization. So not only does this text talk about the Jews and Gentiles coming together, but we're talking about customs and traditions being challenged and we're also talking about this, that God loves his creation, that God doesn't make any messes, that God doesn't call us to belittle one group of people and esteem another group of people. 
he wouldn't be God. He's a God of equality. He's a God of justice. And you'll see that in the passage. That he is the one who has the right to judge. We have no right to look down on people because they don't look like us or act like us or share our values or our beliefs. We're God's creation. Now I know, I'm getting loud now. I know what happened to you. When a brother gets loud and you're talking about racial issues, that could be very offensive. I get that. I get loud because I'm passionate, y'all. Because I love you. It's a passionate love for God's people. That's why I'm loud. Because it's the truth. But you don't know me. And when you don't know someone, and you don't know their mannerisms or idiosyncrasies, then you don't know what that tone means. You don't know what the expression means. You don't know what they're thinking. And it's all of this stuff going on in all our minds and our hearts. Yeah. I don't deal with all of this. Hmm. Peter wasn't, or rather, Cornelius wasn't a groupie of Peter's. He worshiped because he reverenced God. Yeah, remember that. Verse 28, and he said, so you yourselves know. Oh, I already said that. I'm sorry. I told you. So then Peter, after he says that what God has made is clean, and no one has the right to say it's unclean or common, and God doesn't show favoritism, then he goes on to say this. Here's what God has revealed to me, and he talks about the gospel. You hear what I said in the beginning? The gospel pervades race and culture and all of our experiences. It transcends. It goes beyond. It's the most important thing. The gospel is more important than our very existence. It's the gospel. But yet we get wrapped up into our own traditions and experiences and we're ethnocentric. What that means, y'all, you know, a quote from uh, Billy Graham, that we just think, you know, I'm just more focused on what's important to black people. I'm just more focused on what's important to white people. That's just all that matters to me because that's been my experience. It's just too messy. Let's not go there and do that. That's a temptation that we fall into. Everyone does. Because we, we, we pretty much gravitate to things that are very comfortable to us, right? We gravitate towards people that make us feel like we're, we're understood, right? But there's a problem because we're not all understood across the racial lines. We're not. Yeah. So the two things, the two big ideas about this passage, God doesn't show favoritism, and the gospel pervades or transcends race, culture, in our personal experiences, right? And this is the gospel. Here you go. This is what all, that all that matters. This is what keeps me engaged and gives me a level mind and a level heart. And it's a struggle for me as a person, I won't lie to you. I'm a fallen man saved by the grace of God, right? And it's a struggle. I'm not going to be hypocritical and say, hey, I don't have problems with racial, with racial issues. I'm not a racist. Boy, deep down inside, when the ugliness of that heart is revealed, you're like, oh, why do I feel that way? I got to do something with this. It's real for all of us. It's sin. So here's what Peter just lays it out. And here it is. Here's the gospel, y'all. I got to go there. I got to share the gospel. Then we're going to get into the practical stuff, all right? So we're going to just kind of breeze through that. We're almost there. Y'all are doing a really good job hanging in with me. I know some of you guys never heard a black preacher preaching. This is kind of what you get, y'all, just a little bit. I might start hooping in a little bit. What is that? I'll tell you about it later. 
So verses 34 and 43, so I'm going to scream. Here's what Peter proclaims. He says that, you know what John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all he did, both in the country of Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death and hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. The gospel bears witness that God is the judge of his creation. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The gospel is for all who All of those who fear him and believes what Jesus, believes that Jesus is our atonement, that he died for our sin debt. That while we were yet sinners, going astray, living life for ourselves, living selfishly, Christ died for us. Because of his grace. He extended the gospel. He extended the gospel to Cornelius. Because of his grace, he extended the gospel to all Gentiles. You know what? Unless you were born a Jew, you're a Gentile. We all are. But we're different. And that's okay. We can be different in terms of the way we look and even some of our practices, things that we do, our interests and hobbies. That's cool. But let's not look down on someone because they don't resonate with us. Because they don't talk like us. Because they're not aligned with what we think they should be. Because we disagree with each other. Listen here. Jesus, Ephesians, Ephesians 2, verses 14 and 15. Jesus came to tear down the racial and social walls. This is, I haven't gotten to the quote yet, by the way. Okay, I'm going to read that in a minute. Jesus came to tear down the racial and social walls so that we can, so that we can, so that we can build. And I'm sorry, I, I, I got a misprint here. Jesus came to tear down the racial and social walls we built that we built to, to separate races and cultural interactions. <laughs> Here's a verse, y'all. I messed that other part up. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus is our peace. And he's the one who came to tear down, to tear down the wall that divides us, the wall that creates hostility. And this is what we find in society. This is what we grew up with. Now, let's talk about that. We live in a racialized society. Everything's about race. In the South, we talk about race all the time. In the Midwest, in Indianapolis especially, we don't go there much, and we should. We talk about race in the South too much. Everything's about race. In Indianapolis, we don't go there enough. Let me take a pulse of our city, and I promise you we'll move towards some practical application. May the Lord meet us where we are. So we've been here in Indianapolis for eight years. Not many African-Americans live in Indianapolis. 
been here and we've seen some of the, I guess, subtle racism. I've seen some of that. I have a daughter who's experienced that even to this day. She lives in the Greenwood area with her white husband. And, and what I've seen have been uh, the government has made an effort, have made efforts to bring people together to talk about racial re- race relationships, not necessarily racial reconciliation, but race relationships. About three years ago, there was a town hall meeting at Martin University. IPS and the government, the local police and the government were there. They had a panel discussion. They invited about 300 people just to talk about could end it. The theme was, could Indianapolis become another Ferguson? That's when we had the, the shootings and the fighting in the nation, right, when it really kicked off. Of course, that's been going on for ages. And within, and I, I attended that, 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 that town hall meeting because I wanted to get a feeling or get a pulse of our city because I'm trying to, I can't get people to talk much about it, so I have to look for those conversations, right? So I went, and what I saw was there were probably two-thirds African-American and, uh, and then less than a third white, then you had the other, right, Latino and Asian. And, and it was really hostile. You know, what did I expect? You know, it wasn't one of those Solution Sundays moments. <laughs> It wasn't around the dinner table. People were kind of up in arms, and their people were angry because they brought their presuppositions. They brought all of the past experiences. Heard black folks saying, you can't trust the police regardless of their race. You can't trust uh, the police because they're out to kill our young black men. Had a mom to say, I have boys, and I've taught my boys that if you ever encounter the police, this is what you got to do. You got to handle your business. And the police said, whoa, ma'am, don't set your kids up like that. So it got kind of hostile up in there. And it made me feel uneasy. And there were ministers there, and they were sharing their perspective, but I'm looking for some solutions and really didn't feel like we got a lot of things done. And then after that town hall meeting, uh, one of the, the police chief, I'm not, I guess I threw him on the bus, he said, we're going to get back with you with a follow-up plan. Hasn't happened yet. He's no longer in his position. So here's the question. That's what I've seen, a little bit of that. And I've also had a few people, white folk, that come and say, my grandparents are racist, my parents are racist, and I'm racist too, but I know it's wrong for me to feel this way because I'm a Christian. When that white brother said that in front of other white folk, at a church, we had a discussion. It wasn't at the dinner table, but it was in the sanctuary. We talked about racial reconciliation. And he just said, I have a situation. Here's my dilemma. What do I do with that? I appreciate the honesty that we can be honest about where we are and what we've experienced, right or wrong. In that case, it was wrong. But he's saying, I want to do something with this, with my feelings. I don't want to just to, to repress it. I don't want to just hide it. I don't want to sound like I'm confrontational. I just want to just keep it to myself and just let God deal with that when we get there, when we get to glory. Let God figure that out. But he said, no, I have a problem with that. He was perplexed. What does this mean? So we started meeting. We invited other people to be a part of that discussion. We met for about three years. So that's what I've seen. But then I have a question for y'all. Yeah. You don't have to answer it unless you want to. If you're in a black church, they probably give you the answer. So what is the role? What do you think the role of the church? What should the role of the church be as it pertains to dealing with our racial divide? What role does the church play in confronting our racial divide? The senator talks about, I love this phrase, 
district, y'all could do something with this. If you could have this solution Sundays, I don't know. Maybe you grab that and do make it spiritualized a little bit. You know, but what is it? What's the solution as it pertains to race and race relationship? What's the solution? Well, here's what I say. It's the, it's the gospel. So we find in 2 Corinthians 5, right? 2 Corinthians 5, really 18, 19, and 20. Here it is in a nutshell. Here it is in a nutshell. Because God constrains us. His love constrains us or compels us. Because he died on the cross for our sins, his love compels, should compel or constrain us to do what? To do good. And he gives us, he's called us, and we, call, we are called to what? To, be, to the ministry of racial reconciliation. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's a responsibility. It's not a choice. That's a part of the mandate. It's a part of the gospel. It's what he calls us to. It's, it's an act of obedience. And the question we have to ask then, so what does it mean for me to be a reconciler? This is something that God has called the church to do. Listen, we are the solution to the problems in society. The church is. Because we have the power of God, we have his word, and we have people, the people of God, who come together and who are seeking his face, and he reveals himself to us to give us the ability to accomplish his will for his glory. So we have a responsibility. The world needs to be looking to us. Our city needs to be looking to the church, and I'm so grateful that district church is talking about it at the infancy of your, of the infancy stage of your church. I prayed it district church will continue to wrestle with this, that you would be a part of the solution. I know it's nerve-wracking. I know it may make you feel a little uncomfortable, but you would allow God to use this body that you can reflect the image and the glory of God in community. In the community, the city can see and know and say, "Woo! there's something special about that fellowship. And there are a lot of people looking for that diversity. They're looking for unity. They are. I hear it all the time. More and more churches are hiring ethnic minorities. We want to be diverse. We want to start from the top. I praise God that Brother Dwayne is starting as a leader of this church saying we are committed to the gospel. It's not just committed to the black-white relationship. Committed to the gospel which includes social injustices, which includes dealing with racial situations, which includes standing up and saying that we want to be a part, we want to take that divide and bring it together for the glory of God. That we, that district church, wants to be a reconciling agent for God. It's nerve-wracking though, Pastor Phil. Yeah. All of my ideologies, all of my, my history, my experience, you're going to challenge that, Pastor Dwayne. You're going to go there. I'm scared, but you're going you're gonna to try to pull back the layers. Well, Pastor Wayne can't do that by himself. He needs the Holy Spirit to do that in you first. But we have to avail ourselves to God. Here's a, here's a word that, that was brought to my attention this week. It's a phrase. Well, we're going to get to some practical application. I'm just trying to set you up, y'all. I'm just trying to set you up. You know, once you kind of feel, feel excited about what district could do for God, as it pertains to race relationship, what you get excited about? I want you to dream. You know, he's called us as reconcilers, right? It's in the scriptures, right? Okay. And he's torn down the dividing wall of hostility. But this term, cognitive dissonance, cognitive dissonance, 
Can I give you the, a definition of that? Because it, it's all of us. We all relate to this, this term. So it's psychological. Cognitive dissonance is the mental stress or discomfort experienced by an individual who holds two or more contradictory beliefs, ideas, or values at the same time. Cognitive dissonance focus, focuses on how humans strive for internal consistency tends to become psychologically uncomfortable and is motivated to try to reduce this dissonance and avoid situations and information likely to increase it. What does it say? When we don't feel good about what's happening on the inside, when Pastor Phil, you're talking about this, this reconciliation and you're encouraging us to, 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 to embrace the walls that God has divided and embrace this love for everybody regardless of their race and culture. Uh, what do I do all the stuff that I've been kind of wrestling with in my mind? I'm scared. I'm afraid of black people. Now, I didn't say you said that. <laughs> but black people don't feel like they can trust white people. And there are a whole lot of issues within the divide. And so the cognitive resonance is this. I can't really understand. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't know how to figure this thing out. So I'll just justify by saying, well, we'll deal with that when we get to heaven. Well, we're, we're just different. Well, it's all right for black people to worship the way they worship and white people to worship the way they worship. After all, we have to be led by the Spirit of God. So we just justify our actual inactivity as it pertains to coming together as a body of people, as a body of Christians, as a body of Christ, engaging in racial reconciliation. That's what's going on with us. Yeah. That's what's cognitive dissonance. I don't want to feel uneasy about this. I'm perplexed inside, and I can't explain it. So just let it go. Just let it go. Is that a good description of being perplexed? There's a fear factor there. Since Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday is tomorrow, and we're coming upon the Black History Month, I got a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King. He says this. What's the benefit? Oh, I'm sorry. Where's that man's quote? He says, taken that first step of faith, or faith in this regard, of stepping outside of who you are and what you believe and the struggles you have, is this, it's taking the first step without seeing the staircase. Taking that faith, faith is this, it's taking the first step without seeing all of the steps. Can you get a visual? I see what you're calling us to, Lord. Your word tells us that you have no respect of persons, that you don't show favoritism, that what you made is good for your glory. I see that. And I see that the gospel is for everyone, or anyone who fears you and who receives your spirit by grace through faith, and they too can experience salvation. I understand that. But what does this mean for me as a person interfacing with people that are not like me. Hmm. Oh, I just found a quote from Martin Luther King. Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. I just said that. 
I'm amusing myself here. <laughs> Application, y'all. Finally. Whew. What does it mean for us to take that bold step of faith where we can't see the staircase and invite someone who's not from our ethnic situation, who's not from our cultural situation, who's not from our socioeconomic situation, to invite them into our home. Well, I didn't know this until I did a little research. There's an event every year, and it's been going on since 1999, and it's called Dallas Dinner Table. Has anyone heard of that? It's in, it's in, it's in Dallas, Fort Worth. And, and what they do, they hold it. This is a nonprofit, not a church. And they've been doing this for a long time, and this is what I found out. So the dinners are designed to encourage communication about race and ethnicity, educate participants about perspectives held by other race in Dallas or races, and empower citizens to develop relationships with people, with people from a various, uh, from a various, or, from various or racial ethnic groups. The dinners are held in private homes, churches, businesses, or restaurants, and hosted by gracious citizens who provide an evening meal to participants from diverse backgrounds. Facilitators Guide, they have a facilitators guide that you can also download, and you can use that when you have people in your house, you have things to talk about, okay? So they have a facilitators guide dialogue at each table towards cross-cultural communication with focus on personal action and growth and the advantages of cross-cultural relationships. Huh, that's all right, we can be creative. If you want to get started, I'll give you a little, I'll give you a little help. My wife and I are empty nesters, and we have a little capacity in our schedule. If you never invited a black family to your home, go ahead and reach out to me after the service, and uh, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> now, it may take about six months, but we'll see what we can do. But seriously, so you have to take the first step. Now, I noticed with district church, you have one African American. I understand. You got the one. <laughs> I understand. Uh, uh, what's your name, brother? What's your name, brother? Elliot. Elliot. So Elliot is your one. And I say get on the schedule and invite Elliot to your home for dinner. But Elliot, you can invite them to your home as well. And it's all seriousness. Take that first uncomfortable step. If you haven't, some of you probably have done this already. Take that first step and invite them to the table. Right? And what do you do at the table? Why don't you share your story? Share your experience. But you know it's going to take time, though, because you don't just trust people at the first dinner. So, Elliot, get ready to be invited multiple times to people's homes for maybe the next year or so until there are more African Americans in the church, okay, or other ethnic groups represented, then you, then you won't be the only one. But this is a good way to subsidize your income. But at any rate... you got to invite people to your home too, Elliot. Now, I don't mean to sound comical. And there are a number of initiatives that, are, that have started up like this. Let me just be personal, then we're going to wrap up. Golly. My wife and I have hosted a diverse group of people in our home for five years since we've been in Indianapolis. And it didn't start because we just said, let's 
host Thursday night dinners. Let's have a, let's have a, a time where we can have diversity at our dinner table. It really didn't start that way. It started by, by having friends. I mean, we have a white friend. His name is Phil. Phil, come and hang out. We used to hang out, you know, go to a, the, the pub, have a beer or what have you. And my wife said, why are you spending money going out? Why don't you just have dinner at home? I said, great, we'll do that. And so Phil and I went a little deeper. And, and then we started inviting other friends. And it's all that to say there are 12 individuals that are from different ethnic backgrounds, from various churches. We meet just about when we schedule it, uh, for the most part, every Thursday from 6.30 to 8 o'clock. We meet. And what happens? Well, we just do life. We don't, we don't have a guide. You know, the Dallas group got a guide, and there's some other groups with guides. But we simply just hang out and we eat. And we talk about life. We talk about current events. We talk about our stories. And that's one thing we did initially. Tell us about your story. That's a great place to start. What has been your experience? Okay, from a racial standpoint. Go there. I, I, I can appreciate being organic, but come on, y'all. We got to be intentional. And let's go there and talk about your perspective of racism in America, in your family. Talk about it. Well, it makes feel, I know, it makes everyone feel uncomfortable, but go ahead and engage. Take that first step without seeing the staircase. Right? And then what happens? Listen. You continue, you continue to do life together. It doesn't end at the dinner table. It's a start there. But then you go and you get more personal. You do life together. I can't imagine, as we're about to close out, y'all. I can't imagine if we, the church, the Big C Church, would take that initial step of faith and be very intentional that we just don't want to fellowship but we want to talk about our ethnic differences our racial differences we want to talk about that uh, uh, cognitive resonance that we wrestle with that we want to be intentional and feel uncomfortable about how we feel and how we think and we could just trust God to show us what he can do like what he did at Cornelius' home what happened when he went to Cornelius' home, when Peter went there? People got saved. Spirit of the Lord fell on them and they started speaking in tongues. Oh my goodness. The sky is the limit and the church grew. The church grew. And even Peter was honest when he entered into the house. He was totally honest. This is not something that we do. But I know something that is true about the word of God, that the gospel pervades race, culture, and socioeconomics. And that what God has made is clean. And that God is the only one who has the right to judge. Because we're his creation. And we don't have the right. We don't get to choose who's better suited for us to have in our home, to have at our dinner table. And I dare take another step. That we don't even question who our kids bring home and say, this is the man that God has called me to marry. And he's white from the Greenwood area. Now he's my son. What can God do with that? Now, there's some challenges. I'm going to wrap up, y'all. Just being real. I may not come back and talk about this again. Maybe somebody else will. Maybe you'll be talking about it. But there's a challenge. Your family's going to challenge you. First of all, you're going to be challenged. Your family members, what are you doing? We don't do that. 
That's not what, the way we taught you. What about society? Well, it's hard to have those relationships around the water cooler. It's hard to have coffee with them. Don't be bringing them into your home. What? And here's a test. As you're doing those dinners and you're having those meals and you've been together for a little while, here's a test for you to see how deep you're going in that relationship. Is when that black or white person can go into your refrigerator without asking. Simple, look at it, y'all. It's just so simple. So you kind of gave me, gave me a response on that one. It's just that simple. They can feel that comfortable to where they walk in. Hey, brother so-and-so. Hey, sister so-and-so. Shoot, I'm thirsty. What you got in the refrigerator? Go right to the refrigerator. That's relationships happening. Or when they say, I heard about what's going on in, in, out there in Missouri, in Ferguson. How are you dealing with that? How are you dealing with that? Because you're a black man. Because I care. Or maybe there's a riot that took place and a white person was injured. And then the, that black person went to the white person and said, I heard about this situation. How does that affect you? We do life together. We can be real with each other. We can be present with each other. We represent the glory of God when we interface in intentional relationships for his glory and not our own. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful that your word is true and grateful that you give us direction, that you give us hope, that you give us uh, challenging truths to wrestle with because you love us. Thank you that you're a God of equality. Thank you that you are the God of the universe. And thank you, Lord, that you've chosen us to be your children. While we were yet sinners, you allowed your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. And you've given us the ministry of reconciliation. I pray, God, that we would honor you well, that we would serve you well, that we would represent you well before the world to see and know that something different about these peculiar people, people who love irrespective of race, of culture, or socioeconomics, but we love because of the love that Jesus has given us, because of the love that he's given us through his son. God, we ask your blessing on this church. Be with district. Be with the leadership. Use this church to be a city that sits high, a light of the world, a city that sits high on the hill. And Lord, that the world may see and know that your spirit is with this body, and that it will draw people from various ethnic backgrounds, from various uh, ed educational uh, experiences, and it will be a church that will bring honor and glory to your name. We thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at